today's scripture reading is from the New Testament, Luke 17, 20 through 37. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But you won't see it. People will tell you, Look, there's the Son of Man. Or, here he is. But don't go out and follow them. For, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Where will this happen, Lord, the disciples asked. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you to Katie for leading us in worship. Thank you to Melanie and Kirk for leading us through those liturgies. Uh, Advent is my favorite time of the church year, and one of the things I love about Advent is that not only does Advent remember people longing for Jesus the Messiah to be born, but Advent is also a time where we participate in that longing by longing for Jesus to return again. And so this 
question that the Pharisees are asking, this question that is central to our passage today about when will uh, the kingdom come, when will the Son of Man return, when is the second coming, all of that is part of a branch of theology that is called eschatology, which uh, is the study of last things. Now, uh, here's the problem, really two problems. Two dangers that we run into immediately when we start talking about last things, when is Jesus going to return? The two dangers are, one, that we don't take eschatology or Christian beliefs about the end seriously enough, or two, the exact opposite problem, that we take our understanding of the end way too seriously. To the first problem, Soren Kierkegaard, a, a Danish theologian and philosopher, told a parable. He said, in a massive theater, backstage, a fire was lit that got out of control. The fire began to consume the entire theater, and one of the clowns that had been in the theater production rushes out on the stage and tells the audiences still milling about, you need to get out, the theater is on fire. But as he begins to pronounce the news that they could die, they begin to applaud and laugh at him. He's just a clown after all. And the more animated he gets, the more intense he gets in his warnings, the more they plod and the louder they get in their laughter. And Kierkegaard says, in the end, he says, I think this is just how the world will come to an end, to the general applause from wits who believe it's all a joke, who don't take it seriously. I think, though, that there is a second problem the second problem of taking our own view of the end too seriously, and I think the second problem is actually graver than the first. So let me modify Kierkegaard's parable. Let's say that this clown's role in the play, the role the clown played was to be the predictor of everyone's demise. So that throughout the entire play, the clown is just randomly going to the different characters and predicting, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to not die. But at the end of the play, they're all still alive. But the clown keeps returning back again, saying, the end is near for you. The end is near for you. Never once learning the lesson that he doesn't know when the end is near for anyone. So that when the fire is lit backstage after the play and the clown comes rushing out on stage to tell the audience, you need to get out, everyone thinks it's just the foolish continuation of the clown's role. And they ignore him because all throughout the play he's never had anything of substance or worth and he's been wrong every single time and never learned his lesson. Now, I say that we have two problems, and we could certainly spend a lot of our time talking about the first problem of not taking it seriously enough. 
But the graver threat to our world today is Christian clowns who take their own view of the end so seriously that they don't think they can be wrong and they are messing with people's lives all over the world because they have a particular view of the end and they seem to be able to read the tea leaves and know when Jesus is returning. What's really interesting is that Jesus addresses this very mentality in our passage today. Notice what the Pharisees ask. When will the kingdom of God come? When is it going to arrive, Jesus? When are you who you say you're the Messiah? When are you going to fully bring about God's end-time plan and restore justice and peace and goodness to the world? When are you going to make Israel great again, Jesus? When are you going to restore us to our former glory under David and Solomon? When are you going to put us back on top? When are you going to show the true glory of God by making everyone else submit? And Jesus says this. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, there is, there is a lot happening here. But none of this is unclear. You can't say, here it is, or it's over there. In fact, the, the Greek word that Jesus uses for visible signs, it's a word that is used in other contexts to refer to medical diagnosis or like astrological mathematics where they're tracing the movement of the stars and the planets around the sky. He's saying this is not how the kingdom of God is understood. This is not how you understand when it's going to happen or what it's going to be like. It's not like a medical diagnosis where you can just put together a scientific formula based on signs that you predict and come up with some kind of equation and voila, you know how it works. That's not how the kingdom works. You don't get to read the tea leaves and think that you've got it figured out doesn't work that way. Instead, Jesus says, the kingdom is appearing already among you. Which doesn't sound that dramatic and exciting. Right? Because like, what, what interests us about the end times is like charts. We want predictions and nuclear wars and pictures of mushroom clouds and how it's all going to come about. And that sounds exciting to us. That gets our adrenaline going. But you know what doesn't get our adrenaline going? This community. And rightly so. We, should, we actually should be boring. Each of us is finite. Limited, sinful, broken, 
not all that exciting. And yet Jesus says that the kingdom of God is among you. You who fought with your spouse before you came in today. You who lost it with your child this morning because they wouldn't get out of bed. You and your bad hair day. You not wanting to get out of bed because it was too cold. The kingdom of God is among you. In fact, Jesus says not to look for it anywhere else. He says, you won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. If somebody says to you, look, 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 he say, don't look. It's not visible the way we think things are visible. And I know that this is a problem for us because like what we want to have in a world of like skepticism about religions, we want to have proof and we want... We, and Jesus is just saying, like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is among you right here, right now, collectively. You don't have to read tea leaves. And you don't have to start wars in the Middle East to feel like you're a part of some cosmic drama that's bringing about the end time. You are already a part of that cosmic drama. See, th this is the problem I have with Christian clowns who are on stage predicting the end of the world. N number one, the rapture. Hear so much about it. Oddly enough, the Bible doesn't talk about it at all. Zero. None. Nothing. Methodists, this is not something we believe in. It's something that literally nobody believed in until the 19th century. No one. There were no church fathers or mothers who believed in something called the rapture before the 19th century. So all of these people who are spending all of their time predicting when this event is going to happen, they literally are making things up about a thing they made up. The kingdom is not, the, the, the end is not near. The end is already here in us. You know what ancient Jews believed what was going to happen in the end times? Resurrection. The resurrection is what would be the end. And guess what happened? Somebody resurrected. The end already started. This is why you read the New Testament. And it seems like even Paul, the way Paul talks, is like Jesus is coming back next month. Because Paul thought he was living in the end. Because with the resurrection of Jesus, the end began. There's no rapture. Jesus told us not to go after predictions. 
says, don't look here or there. These people are so focused on the end that they miss God's work in the present that Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you now. But here's the worst part of all. I can, I can appreciate people being wrong about the Bible. Okay, I'm wrong about the Bible. I get it wrong. There are probably things I stand up here and I teach or I preach or I say that I'm wrong about because I'm imperfect. So I don't mind when people get it wrong. Here's what really, really bothers me. I don't mind when people get it wrong. I mind when people don't think they can get it wrong. And this is my problem with a lot of the predictive the predictions of demise that are happening in our society with Christianity have been happening a long time, long before us, is that basically they're in their self-assurance that they've read the tea leaves the right way. They're playing chess in the Middle East and all over the world with people's lives. How much of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East is driven by A, oil, and B, end times predictions. And the weird combination of the two. We're just playing around in the Middle East while babies are dying in war and we get to abstractly stand back and just be like, it's a sign of the end. No, it's a sign that we're apathetic and arrogant. It's a sign, really, that we're clowns that have been predicting the end for a long time, and no matter how many times we've guessed it wrong, we never learn our lesson that we don't actually know. Do you remember this? this is like I was like eight years old or something, so like some of you who are a little bit older than me, there's like that book, there's like 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. How'd that work out for you, Joe? And then do you remember Y2K? I'm going to tell you, listen, I remember we were at um, this thing called YouthLink 2000. Does anybody, did anybody go to one of these? I was a college student, and so I was serving as a helper uh, for the YouthLink 2000. It was like a New Year's Eve, year 2000, big Christian bash that was like linking all these cities across the United States. And I remember as the, 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 the clock was counting down to like the new year in Central Standard Time. I remember I got on my knees and I was like, here we go, the rapture's about to happen. Because Jesus was like, yeah, definitely Central Standard Time is when I'm coming back. <laughs> right? But like what this does is it takes us out of the world. There's a reason that these people don't care about climate change. They think that the changes to the climate are just God preparing for end-time apocalyptic scenarios. There's a reason they don't care about long-term U.S. foreign policy. They don't care because they don't think they're going to be here, and so they create a mess for the rest of us who will be here. 
which by the way, we're all going to be here. We're passing on a disaster to our children in the name of blackmailing God into bringing about the apocalypse. Can you, can you imagine that scenario? Can you just like imagine this belief? That if I meddle in the Middle East enough and enough people die, it will force God's hand to bring about the end. And we seem to think in our belief of that, that we're going to be the ones Jesus wants to take with him. So, what do we do? Like, what is the Christian's role? How do we position ourselves over against the end? And what, what, like, what does that mean? Because we still have this compelling reason to take this seriously. And I think there are a couple of things. I think that what Jesus is ultimately going to say here is that you and I, that our job is to live here and now such that the then and there, whenever it is, whatever it looks like, such that the then and there is the next natural step of a life lived for God. We, no matter our view of the end, no matter our eschatology, if we decide to not act like God, if we decide not to align ourselves with God's loving, gracious character, nonviolent character, if we decide to act against that in order to force God's hand to bring about the end, God is not going to recognize us as followers of Jesus. That's, that's not how this works. Our job is to live here and now to the fullest such that when the then and there does occur, it is simply the next natural, logical step of people who've been living a life of holy love for God, neighbor, and self. The then is not going to be dramatically different than the now the then is going to be the next natural step from the now. Which, it turns out, is exactly what Jesus tells the disciples. Let me say something here. This passage, Jesus talks about Noah and Lot and the end and the destruction that they both face, right? Now, people who are trying to predict the end will often laser focus on Noah and Lot and lose everything else that Jesus is saying around them because what they think is happening here is they're saying that what Jesus is saying is that the moral conditions at the end of our day will be the same as the moral conditions in Noah's day and the same of the moral conditions in Lot's day, right? So what they do is they take this as a prophecy, they take moral conditions as a sign of the end. And then what do they do? Say, well, look how immoral America is. 
right? So this is how this works, right? Here's the problem. The Pharisees did not ask Jesus about the moral conditions at the end. What did they ask Jesus? When will it happen? They didn't ask about moral conditions. They asked about timing. So what does Jesus do? He gives them one sign about the timing. One sign. I wonder if you noticed this. I wonder if you're ready for this. Because it's amazing. And I'm 100% sure I'm right about this. Are you ready? The one sign that Jesus gave them to predict the end is that everything would be normal. It would be normal. He says it three times. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat. He doesn't say they enjoyed all these wicked, evil, sinful things. They were going to banquets and parties and having weddings. They were planning for the future. They were living normal human lives until the day Noah entered the boat. Says it a second time, a couple verses later. People went about their daily business eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building. If Jesus was focused on moral conditions and how bad things were going to get, he would not talk about eating and drinking and buying and selling and building and farming. The emphasis is on the normalcy of life. You know how I know the Pharisees also weren't asking about moral conditions at the end? Because they were living with the Romans. They were living under the thumb of an oppressive Roman dictator whose ethics were vastly different than theirs. They saw, they, they saw themselves being ruled by Gentiles as being ruled by morally capitulated, disgusting people. They didn't think it could get worse. Jesus is not telling them it's going to get worse. Jesus is telling them life is going to go on. He says it another time. He says, yes, it will be business as usual right up until the day that the Son of Man is revealed. It's business as usual. The one sign that Jesus gives is that things are going to be normal. This is why, and you know what? Jesus is thoroughly Jewish in this. Thoroughly Jewish. There's a rabbi around the time of Jesus in the first century who got frustrated with people who kept predicting the arrival of the Messiah. And so he says this little parable he says, if you're going, if you are holding a sapling in your hand and someone comes and tells you, come quickly, the Messiah is here, first finish planting the tree and then go greet the Messiah. Why would he say this? Why would he say this? Two reasons. 
Number one, people obsessed with prophecies and predictions lose sight of the daily activities of life like planting trees. When people become obsessed with the end and the arrival of the end, they lose sight of any long-term meaningful interactions with this life, including things like planting trees that take a long time to develop. It's so funny to me that the very people who told me not to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good are also the same people who have no long-term plans to be here. I think the second reason why he says this is because if the Messiah does come, the Messiah is not going to take us out of this world, but is going to firmly plant us within it. Do you know the, the piece of the scripture where it says, like, there are two men lying in a bed and one gets taken and the other one's left and two women are grinding at a mill and one gets taken? Like, because we are so shaped by rapture theology, what we think is happening there is that God is taking one to heaven? That's not... That's not what the passage is saying. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about like destructive forces, right? He's talking about like the destruction of like Noah and Lot and like the destruction of like Sodom. He's saying like whatever this scenario is going to be, one is going to die and the other one's going to be left, right? And I don't have any clue what he's talking about there. Like I, I don't, like I'm not going to put before you be like, hey, listen. Like one out of every two people, like 50%, like I'm not doing that. I'm just saying like the, the point is actually the reverse of what we think. What we need to do is understand that the Messiah's intention is to make us firmly rooted in this life, in this earth. This is why the vision of the very end in Revelation 21 is what? A restored creation. It's not us in heaven. It's heaven coming to earth restoring creation. You and I belong here. The next step, the then and there, should just be the next natural step from the way we're living our life now. It's normal. We do not have to read the tea leaves. We do not get to play chess in the Middle East. We do not get to ignore long-term political implications of the way we live our lives or economic implications or climate implications of the way we live our lives because we're not going to be here. That's not how this works. Our job is to live this life here and now to the fullest such that the then and there is just the next natural step in a life lived in holy love for God holy love for neighbor, and holy love for self. To me, this is the only way not to end up a Christian clown. To take this life seriously, including the normal, everyday life that we live together because it is in our life together that the kingdom of God is found.